You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. Good to see you this evening. If you would please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And tonight we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16, but I want us to read beginning with verse 1. Put our verses in their context. Ephesians chapter 4, and we read beginning with the first verse. Paul writes, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's go to our God together and ask His blessing on our time in His Word tonight. Father in heaven, thank You for Your grace to us in Jesus. It is scandalous in that, Lord, the forgiveness that You've offered to us seems scandalous in the eyes of lost humanity. It is wonderful to us. It is unbelievable to us. We are grateful for it. The reason why, Lord, it is so great is because our sins were and are so great. And if not for Your grace, we perish. Lord, if You should mark iniquities, no one can stand. And so, Lord, please save us from having too small a view of Your grace to us in Christ and too large a view of ourselves. Help us to see who we really are by nature and how loving and kind and gracious and merciful you've been to us in Christ. 
We ask, Lord, that this would drive us to fresh submission to the truth as you have revealed it to us in your Son, including these truths that call us to unity. We are one in your Son. Lord, strengthen us to live like it, to live that out in the way that you have designed, in a way that pleases you, in a way that speaks clearly to this world of who you are and what salvation is. We ask, Lord, that tonight you would bless your word the hearts of your people in a way that changes us and contributes to that ongoing work you're doing in us to conform us to the image of your Son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight will be the last evening that we spend in Ephesians chapter 4. For those who may not have been here for the entirety of this study, we have taken a break on Sunday evenings from our study of the Gospel of Matthew to think about what it means to experience local church unity. We talked about the fact that the Lord has grown this congregation swiftly in the last two, three years, and though we are gathered into this fellowship with doctrinal clarity, nonetheless, so many of us coming from so many different backgrounds, it's just vital that we understand the importance of the unity of this fellowship in every local church. And so we're considering a section of Scripture, verses 1-16 through 16 of Ephesians 4, where unity is the theme that runs throughout the verses. If you're thinking about local church unity, this is certainly one of the preeminent texts you could go to to understand that subject. And so far as we've looked at these verses, we've seen five things that help us to walk in unity with one another. First of all, the ambition for local church unity is found in verse 1, and that is to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. What he's calling us to here is what is fitting when you think about God's grace to us. This is how we are meant to live. This is how we are meant to walk with Him and walk with one another. So the ambition is the glory of God. In verse 2, he talks about the attitudes that are necessary for it. If we're to walk in unity, there must be humility and gentleness and patience. He also indicates what actions we must take. We must bear with one another in love. We must be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And all of this flows from the awareness that unity is something we have in Christ. It's already a reality. We're simply meant to live in keeping with that reality because he tells us there's one body and one spirit. We're called in one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So it's not like we're trying to create this unity. We have it. We're just simply now to live in a way that we have the capacity to live as believers. Maintaining that unity, preserving it, cherishing it, treasuring it, protecting it. And then beginning at verse 7, he, he gives us the assets for local church unity. What has been given to us in the way of gifts by which we walk in a way that is worthy of our calling, by which we minister to one another in a way that produces lives that are in keeping with what we're being called to in these verses. We looked at the distribution of spiritual gifts to individual believers in verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us gifted for ministry. And then the explanation for those gifts is talked about in verses 8 through 10. 
The reason why we're gifted is because Christ has conquered. It is out of His victory and the fact that He has ascended on high and is enthroned as the victor that now He has distributed the spoils. He has won the victory for us and He has distributed the spoils in the form of spiritual gifts. This is why we're gifted because Christ has conquered and we are in His parade. We walk in His victory and verses 8 through 10 speaks of that. And now tonight we come to verses 11 through 16, where we're told that Jesus has not only distributed gifts to us on an individual basis, but He has given special gifts to His church in the form of gifted men. Christ has gifted His church with servants who are specially equipped to help the church as we mature and out of that maturity walk in unity one with another. And that's what our focus is on tonight. Tonight we think about Christ's gifts to His church for the maturity and the unity of His church. Let me just tell you up front what I'm doing tonight. I'm not aiming at a detailed exposition of verses 11 through 16 because if I were to do that, we would spend several weeks here. And that's not the goal. The goal as we came into this study was to think about local church unity. And so tonight what I want to do instead is sort of take that high-level view of these verses, the aerial view, the drone shot, as it were, looking high above this text, not digging down into the details of it, but just considering it as a whole, and thinking specifically about what these verses teach us concerning the unity of the church. And so we'll examine these verses under four headings. I'll just mention them as we come to them. First of all, we see the men for the unity of the church, the men given by Christ for the church's unity. Verse 11, and He Himself, that is Jesus, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. He's not talking about offices. He's talking about the men who serve in the offices. He gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave pastors and teachers. Of those four types of men that are mentioned, all on the scene, all, all serving at the time that Paul writes this, but of those four types of men, only two would continue to serve the church in an ongoing way. Possibly even you could say one. It all depends on how you see the New Testament evangelist. If you understand the evangelists to be men who just especially devote themselves to the preaching of the gospel, then certainly you could say that perhaps there are some men today that this is especially their gifting. They go about and preach the gospel to places where evangelism is needed. Maybe you could think about missionaries, for example, would represent that sort of person called, given by Christ to serve in evangelism. If you think of the evangelist as apostolic assistants, like Timothy and Titus, and they would no longer be on the scene. And what you'd be left with then are shepherds who teach. That kind of man certainly has been given for the duration of the church's history. God has given shepherds who teach. Christ has given shepherds who teach for the maturity and the unity of the church. Division among saved people is explained by immaturity and by error. How do you have 
saved people at odds with each other? How do you have churches divided in their fellowship? Of course, the answer is sin. But wrapped up in those sin issues is often, at the same time, spiritual immaturity. People even responding to sin issues in a way that doesn't reflect maturity. And many times what also fuels those divisions would be error in our understanding of the Word of God. Wrong thinking, bad thinking, doctrinally diseased thinking. This leads to division. And so Christ has given teachers to the church to overcome the problems that exist in sin, in immaturity, in error. Which brings me to the second point tonight. These are the men given for the unity of the church. Now you come to verse 12 and you see the method for the church's unity. So how do these men then contribute to the maturity and the unity of the church? Well, notice what their task is. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for what? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God. You take all those statements together and what emerges is that these men have been given to teach the truth that God has delivered to His church. God uses these gifted men through teaching. And the teaching is aimed at equipping your saved people, gifted people, people made to serve Christ, and the way that you are equipped for your work of service is through the careful, regular teaching of the Word of God. This is how God's saints are prepared to serve Christ in a way that honors Christ, in a way that reflects maturity. This is how the church is built up, verse 12, to the building up of the body of Christ. I know you know this, but I just want to say it. We gather every Lord's Day for equipping. We are mindful, and you hear this in our prayers, and you hear it even in our sermons, and probably also even in your ABF classes, we are aware that lost people are in our midst, and if evangelism happens on a Lord's Day, praise the Lord that He saves people. But the primary purpose for our gathering is not evangelism. We gather on these Lord's Days for equipping so that God's church would be built up in our understanding of the truth. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, you see. The faith delivered unto the saints that we would all be built up in our knowledge of the Son of God. So we gather as the church to be built up in the faith and to be built up in our knowledge. We then disperse to evangelize. And here's something that I hope you've recognized in the church growth movement, in the mega church movement. God's design was turned on its head. All of a sudden what began to happen in churches is we gather for evangelism, and, and what they thought of as evangelism was really attractional ministry, so-called ministry. Let's put on a show that, in their mindset, even lost people would be dazzled by, would enjoy, would want to be a part of, and we'll win them to Jesus that way. And then what we'll do is we'll gather in small groups, in homes, to really learn doctrine. So you gather for evangelism, you disperse 
for progressive sanctification. You disperse for maturity in the faith. You disperse for discipleship. Gather for evangelism, disperse for discipleship. That is, that is directly opposite of what God has designed in His Word. We gather for discipleship. We gather for edification. We gather for equipping. We disperse to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. You go out into the workplace to share the gospel. You go out into the recreational ways that you interact with lost people, little league, basketball, soccer. There you meet with people who don't know Jesus. You share your faith. In the realm of your family associations with family members who don't know Christ, you share your faith. You disperse to evangelize. You gather for edification and equipping. And so God has given, Christ has given these men to the church to do that, to teach the church the truth that He's revealed in His Word. Which brings us to the third thing we see in our verses, verse 13, the mark for the church's unity. The men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the method, equipping the saints for the work of service. We all are serving with our gift. As a result, the body is built up. We're growing in the faith and our knowledge of the Son of God. What are we aiming at? What are we aiming at? What is the goal of this service? Verse 13, the unity of the faith, the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. When a church knows Spirit-maintained unity, when a church knows Spirit-produced maturity, its goal is clear, and the goal is Christlikeness. The goal is conformity to the image of our Savior, the image of our Shepherd, the image of our Head. We are aiming at Christ. This is the goal of all church ministry, Christlikeness. I'm talking now about the maturity of the church. The goal is Christlikeness. This is the goal of all of our shepherding, all of our preaching and teaching, Christ-likeness, that the church would take on more and more of the likeness of Jesus. Paul says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is, the whole Christ is the destiny of the whole man. And I don't mean by that that somehow we attain to deity. Of course not. But what I do mean by that is that in every way God has destined Jesus to be the goal of our redeemed humanity, that's what we're pursuing, that's what we're striving after, and that is one day, by the grace of God, where we will arrive. This is what maturity aims at, and this is what maturity is measured by. The faithfulness of a church is not measured by its budget. The faithfulness of a church is not measured by its attenders, how many people attend. The measure of a church is not its facilities. The measure of a church is Christ-likeness. That's what we're aiming at. Christ-likeness in our thinking. Christ-likeness in our motives. I mean, what do we really want? What are we really aiming at as individuals and as a church? Christ-likeness in our motives, Christ-likeness in our behavior. This is the goal. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says it this way, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. Please 
don't compartmentalize your life. You and I must not ever be okay with some area of our life not being Christ-like. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we want holiness to be on display in our lives, in our inner man and in our outer man? What goes on in our hearts and what goes on in our behaviors. And then there's this encouraging word in verse 24, faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. He will do this. He will accomplish this. One day, you and I, when we are glorified, will be conformed to the image of our Savior. No more sin. No more disappointing the Lord. No more disappointing ourselves. In our striving after the Lord, conformed to the image of our shepherd. That's our future. That's our destiny. But guess what? That's our aim right now. That's the goal in a church that's going to be unified. The mark in any church that's going to be mature and unified is Christ-likeness. But what does that look like in development? As we are coming along, as we are maturing, as we're walking in unity with each other, maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, what does this look like in development? Well, now look at verse 14. So that, the reason why we're aiming at all of this is so that we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head that is Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint supplies according to the properly measured working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's take just a moment to unpack verse 14, 15, and 16. Thinking about what maturity looks like in development, a few things we want to mention. First of all, when that maturity is taking place, it is evidenced by discernment. What will characterize a maturing church and therefore a unified church is that it will also be a discerning church. When those shepherd teachers are faithfully teaching the Word of God, when you are faithfully learning that Word and taking it into your heart and plugging it into your life, when you are serving one another according to the gift that God has given you, Christ has given you, having saved you, what happens in the life of a church that's embracing these things and walking in these things is stability. The Lord produces stability, and it is His work. Notice we're growing up into Christ, verse 15, but we're being supplied for in this work of progressive sanctification by Him at the same time, verse 16, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by whatever joint supplies, etc. It's from Him that this working is taking place in and through us. And so maturity is evidenced by discernment. As I mentioned earlier, this is what divides churches, bad doctrine. 
or immature thinking in the realm of doctrine. Spiritual gullibility, doctrinal instability. And so the Lord gives gifted men to His church that the church might know the truth, you see. And as a result, be unified in the faith, which is to say unified in their knowledge of God in and through His Son. This is where unity is able to be experienced and maintained. Evidenced by discernment. Second is evidenced by our ambition. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Now this has already been mentioned earlier in our verses, but it's underscored in verse 15. What is the aim of a maturing church, a unified church? The aim is that we would know the truth. The truth as it is in Christ, that we would know Him. This is why we're speaking the truth in love. We're not tossed back and forth by everything that comes down the pike in terms of doctrinal error. Rather, we're stabilized by speaking the truth in love and growing up in all aspects into Him who is the head, that is Christ. The goal in a mature church is not winning arguments. It is arriving at the truth. And when that really is your motive, it governs the way even that we speak to each other. Speaking the truth in love, you see? In love. Think about it. If your goal is to win an argument, then love is not at the forefront. You are at the forefront. What you want to do is prove that you're right. But if what is really reigning in your own ambitions is the glory of God and love for Christ and love for your brothers and sisters, then when you interact with each other over the truth of God's Word, the goal is not that you're right and they're wrong. The goal is, is that together we might all arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That's the motive. That you and I would be transformed together into the likeness of Jesus, you see, into Christ's likeness. The aim in winning an argument is self-exaltation. But the aim of speaking the truth in love is gracious life transformation. When I say gracious, I mean by the grace of God. I mean by the power of God, that our lives would be transformed. That's the goal. And so what characterizes a healthy, mature, unified church, yes, they are discerning, but it's not that argumentative destructive, suspicious, tearing down, self-exalting, proud kind of thing that is sometimes called discernment. No, a truly discerning church is a church that speaks the truth in love because the goal is growing up into the likeness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head that is Christ. Notice that in all aspects. Nothing in my life that is off limits. Can I just ask you tonight, is there any area of your life that you've sort of put off limits? People who know you and love you are concerned about you. Here are all the areas that they can address you on, but here's this area over here that you don't allow them really to address you at all. You just are impatient with it. You turn a deaf ear to it. You don't want to talk about it. Is there something like that in your life? If our ambition is right, if we bear the marks of the ambition that belongs to a mature church and a unified church, there's nothing off limits. 
In fact, I can say it to you this way. Whatever is in my life that is not Christ-like, I want it to be conquered. Wherever I'm not real, Lord, make me real. Wherever I'm not really pleasing you, Lord, transform my life so that I please you. Whatever's not like your son, change that in me. And so wherever I can meet with the truth spoken in love in a way that it exposes where I need to grow, where I need to be transformed, I will thank God for that and love you for that. You see, that's what belongs to a unified church, to a mature church. So maturity is evidenced by discernment. Maturity is evidenced by our ambition. Maturity is evidenced by our activity. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint supplies according to the properly measured working. That has to do with the distribution of spiritual gifts. Christ has measured out the gifts, not just the types of gifts, but even the, the extent of our giftedness wherever He has gifted us. We're not all gifted exactly the same way or to the same extent. But as each one of us work in accordance with how we've been gifted, what each individual part supplies, the church grows spiritually, causes the growth of the body, causes the growth of the body. What is being described in that verse? It is the life-transforming work of God, this is amazing, accomplished through people who are undergoing that life-transforming work of God. God is working in us even as He works through us. He uses us to benefit each other in a way that is mutual. I serve you, you serve me. I contribute to your growth, you contribute to my growth. That's what is pictured in this verse. And God is the one who is working in the ultimate sense in each one of us, transforming us into the image of His Son, even as He's making use of each individual part according to the giftedness that He's measured out. This is what the verse teaches. We have been saved for service, saved for activity, saved for mutual investment, saved to make progress in the Christian faith in the community of the saints. Any believer who wants to live an isolated existence is revealing either they don't know Jesus or there's gross immaturity on display in that mindset. God has not saved you, Christian, to go at it by yourself. Take all the one another commandments in the New Testament. They are impossible to be lived out if you isolate yourself. Rather, God has brought us together in such a way that each of our areas of giftedness are meant to contribute to each other's maturity in the faith. And that is necessary to the Christ-likeness that God means to produce in each one of us. So a mature church, mark this down in your thinking, a mature church, a church that's going to be unified, will be a mutual ministry church. And a unified church will be a mutual ministry church. You have been saved to serve other people with the way that God has gifted you. Can I ask you, do you take that seriously? Do you really? Do you think about that often? 
You don't have to know what your gift is. You just have to know that you're gifted. And then go to work in the way that God affords you the opportunity, making use of who He's made you in His Son, and He will make use of you for the good of others. And this is a part of what you've been saved to live out. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. And it's amazing to me how many people stop at verse 9. How many of you know verse 10? What does verse 10 say? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He has set forth, not only has He prepared it from the standpoint of His decrees, you know, eternal destiny and providence on display, but He has actually set forth the categories for our service in His Word. He has demonstrated ways that we are meant to work, that we are meant to serve. You understand God has saved you to serve? And that your maturity in Christ, your Christ-likeness, requires you serving, and you growing into the likeness of Christ requires you receiving service from other members of the body of Christ. We are meant to grow into Christ-likeness in the community of the local church, the saints of God. So this maturity that's necessary for the church's unity, as it's in development, is evidenced by discernment. But that discernment is, is loving. It is Christ-oriented. Our ambition is Christ-likeness. And it's evidenced by our activity. It's a mutual ministry in the life of a healthy church. People using their gift, Christ working in them and through them at the same time, as we're all taking on more and more of the image of His Son. It's a maturity evidenced by affection. Into verse 16. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. Don't ever forget those last two words, in love. In love. A mature church is not just a discerning church. A mature church is not just a Christ-exalting, Christ-pursuing church. A mature church is not just a church that's active in ministry, working hard. A mature church is marked by love. Love for God, love for each other. This is what makes for a unified church. Love. Love covers a multitude of failings. Oh, that Founders Baptist Church would be discerning. Oh, that Founders Baptist Church would be Christ-exalting. Oh, that Founders Baptist Church would be hardworking. But oh, that Founders Baptist Church will always be a church characterized by love. In fact, you know you can be discerning. Do what you do on behalf of Christ and be hardworking and be in a dangerous place spiritually. Doesn't seem to make sense, does it? If I said, here's a church that's discerning and they're aiming at pleasing Christ and they work hard, you might immediately say, well, that's a healthy church. And yet listen to what the Lord of the church says to the church at Ephesus. Revelation 2, verse 2, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. And this is a hardworking church. And, and it's, a, it's a church that's diligent. I mean, it, 
he uses the word perseverance. And that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you have found them to be false. They are discerning, aren't they? They are hardworking and they are discerning. He said, well, what about exalting Jesus? Next verse. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. You've also not grown weary. I mean, they're doing it for the name of Christ. Verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. You've been working all along, but you're not working the same way. Because what is now absent from all of this discernment and activity that you're doing in my name is genuine, fervent, zealous love for God and love for others. Your first love. Love as it was at the beginning. Love, the kind of love where God and His people are preeminent in your affections and your motivations. And this is so serious that our Lord said this, but if not, I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And if you remember, the lampstands are the churches. I mean, you will go out of existence if you leave love behind. So what does a mature church look like? What does a healthy church look like? What does a unified church, what's it characterized by? Christ has given gifted men. And those churches have men who are faithful with the Word of God, faithful shepherds, and those churches are churches that receive that ministry well. It's not just good preaching and teaching. It's a, a preaching and teaching where Christ is at work in it and the people of God are receptive to that ministry. They're not just hearers of the Word, they're doers of the Word. So that those gifted men shepherd the church with doctrine. They shepherd the church with the Word of God, with teaching, and their ministry and the goal of their teaching is aimed at Christ-likeness. This is what is constantly set before the people. This is what characterizes their own motivations. This is what we're all aiming at together, that we would see conquered in our lives everything, in all aspects, anything that would be unlike Jesus. And where that is in process, where that maturity is being evidenced, You'll see discernment. You'll see the exaltation of Jesus. You'll see the investment of our lives in service to each other. But tying it all together will be love. The love of God that shows up in our love for each other. So as we think about the way the Lord is growing this church numerically, let's don't lose our aim our Lord is the one who examines us. We're not faithful, perfect judges of our own health. I'm sure the church at Ephesus was surprised when it received its update from the Lord Jesus. And what we're aiming at at this church is not going to be measured by budgets. And it's not going to be measured by how many bodies are in seats. And thank God for the facilities He's provided, but it's not measured by beautiful buildings. If this church is living in a way that's beautiful, it will be because of Christ-likeness. And so may the Lord keep that ever before our eyes. 
And may we take to heart the means that our Savior has ordained for our health, our maturity, and our unity. And as we are faithful, to the degree that we are faithful to these things, we will experience the pleasantness, the joy, the peace of brethren dwelling together in unity. Where love, humility, gentleness, patience allows us to bear along with each other, to be kind toward each other, to be patient with each other, to be hopeful toward each other. We'll watch as the love of Christ allows us to absorb many failings because what we all are aiming at together is that we would please Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the time you've given us in Ephesians 4 to think about what it means to be a church that glorifies Christ. A church maturing in the faith. A church growing up in all aspects into Christ. Attaining to the unity of the faith and maintaining the, the unity of the faith in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lord, thank you for these reminders of keeping what is truly your set of marching orders for us at the very center of our ambitions. Save us, Lord, from ever losing our way. Keep us on the right path. And we are grateful as your word promises us, Lord, we will arrive there. You are doing your work in us. We thank you for every way that our Lord's death, resurrection, and life means that we are saved and secure and experiencing salvation's work and progressive sanctification even now. Thank you that you're working through us even as you're working in us. And so may we all grow up together more and more in all aspects into the likeness of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your work and do your work among us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.